have the opportunity of spending the next 39 minutes and 41 seconds together. So it ought to be just intimate. I'm looking forward to it. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John. We're going to continue in the series that Jamie started last week. Jamie, as uh, Troy mentioned, and as Jamie, I guess, mentioned himself in the video, is gone. Uh, He will be back next week. When I leave, Jamie and I are very different people. I have such a great admiration for him. Uh, When I leave and Sandy and I are gone, I don't do hardly anything. Uh, A little walk, maybe. A little reading, maybe. Jamie works. Uh, Jamie is studying. And I have a great admiration for his mind and his curiosity, uh, his discipline. I don't have that. Uh, He has an amazing love for God and for God's word and for you. When he's away studying, it's how can he take God's word and, and, and bring it back to you? So as you walk on campus, and I've walked on, I had not, I was here at Christmas uh, for the Christmas uh, pageant this year. We had a great time. That was an awesome event, and we had a great time with that. Uh, but I hadn't been here since then. And, and so you see the buildings, and you see the banners, and, and you see the construction, and you see the, all that's going on. That's very, very exciting. But that's all incidental. That's all a tool to be able to take God's word and bring it to you and have you bring it to the community. So uh, as Jamie's gone, please don't think that he is away on vacation playing. I'm sure he's getting a little rest in, but he is working very hard. uh, And he's also watching online, so I had to say all of that. He actually, last night, when I got done last night, he sent me a note that he and his, and his mom and dad had watched online, which I thought was awesome. I didn't know he was watching on, on a Saturday night. I would have been slightly better prepared had I known that, but that's okay. It's, Saturday night's the rough draft anyway. That's, a, you know. Uh, we are in a series called I Believe. And what Jamie's decided to do is take this section of the Gospel of John and to use as a title, if you will, one word. So we pick up today in John chapter uh, 1, verse 29, and it begins with the phrase, the next day. So immediately you realize that you are walking into something that's a continuation, a continuation of of what we looked at last week. And and I think we need to go back just to remind ourselves how we got here. John chapter 1, verse 19, John the gospel writer says, this is the testimony of John. So let's be careful here. One is John the disciple who's writing the gospel. The other is John the baptizer. So the focus of our study today is John the Baptist. John the Gospel writer tells us, verse 19, here's the testimony of John, that the Jews uh, sent to him priests and Levites. Group from the Sanhedrin comes and they meet with John the Baptist. They make an official visit and they say, who are you? Really, it's almost sneering as they say it, when, when they're really, who do you think you are? Here's this odd creature, John the Baptist. He's popped in in the scene. The, the leaders are going, we don't have a box for this guy. 
He doesn't fit in any of our kind of rhythm, rhyme, uh, how we would train. He's not one of us. So, so they ask him, who are you? And he said, well, I can tell you this, verse uh, 20, I'm not the Christ. There was kind of a general thought, maybe this is the Messiah. He said, I'm not the Christ. And they said, are you Elijah? Which might seem like an odd question, but the Old Testament ends in Malachi 4, 5, with God saying, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Are you Elijah? No, no. Mm -mm. Well, who are you? We need an answer. So verse 23, John describes himself. He says, if you read the book of Isaiah, you've heard of this one that says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's me. That's who I am. I'm the one who's arrived. I'm the one who's pronounced that there's one coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to be tying his shoe. He is the greatest of all, and I am the least of all. These things took place in chapter 1, verse 28, in, in Bethany, beyond the Jordan. The old uh, name for Bethany is Beth Abara. It means a place of passage. Tradition says it's where the Israelites entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, who was a type of Jesus, a prototype of Jesus. And now in this very setting where there had been that picture, now this is going to become a reality. So that was now, verse 29, where we pick up the next day. The next day, he, that's John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming, and he said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I want to come back. That'll be an emphasis in a minute, but I want to finish the section I have and come back and focus on verse 29. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John, chronologically older, but he said, Here was this Jesus who existed before me. How far did he exist? Well, back to chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's eternal. He existed before me, and I didn't recognize him. Now, that's kind of odd, because Jesus and John are cousins. And in a close-knit community, it almost seems certain that they would have hung out together, and certainly John would have known him. But what John is saying here is, is I didn't recognize him. I didn't know him. I didn't recognize him as the Messiah, as the one that was to come. That's the shot that always gets me. I, I, I look like a poodle in the back of this. It drives me crazy. I just got a haircut, and I got this popping around, and I, 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 I just got that shot. Not very distinguished, is it? Don't let that distract you the rest of the morning. <laughs> I didn't recognize him. And John said, here's my testimony. I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and remain on him. John's reflecting back to an incident probably about six weeks earlier before Jesus went into the desert where John baptized Jesus. 
And John said, it was that moment that I kind of got it. I didn't recognize him, but now I do. Here's the culminating testimony in verse 34. I myself have seen, and I testify, this is the Son of God. This is God coming in the flesh. This is God who is coming to redeem his people, to save his people from their sins. Troy mentioned I'm part of a group that's uh, now Redemption Church. And every Wednesday at Redemption Church, the men who will be teaching the next lesson gather together at something we call a collective. So on a morning like today, we have, I think, nine congregations with nine guys teaching and the collective is to come together and hopefully come together and improve our message you see things that another guy doesn't see some insights talk about the language talk about application and talk about possible interpretation but we always try to walk away with what we call the big idea what's the one thing that we want to get at What's the one thing that if two people uh, meet the next day at Costco, getting the world's best $1.50 hot dog, and, and you say, well, I wasn't there yesterday. What, what did they talk about? You go, well, here's the big idea, okay? So for you today, you know, I'm in Scottsdale, so you're not at Costco. So you're at Whole Foods tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> or your people are at Whole Foods for you. Okay. <laughs> I love this. Here's the big idea. Chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, Jesus is looking. Imagine the scene with me now. You can do it because you've seen all of those kind of uh, documentary movies and the King of Kings and, and Jesus of Nazareth. Here's this scene. There's people all around. And right in the, this is so cool when you think about it. Right in the midst of this, John is there. These guys are questioning. There's a lot of tension. And John says, that guy right there. Right that guy. Behold that guy. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the big idea. Is that Jesus is the the Lamb of God. One author writes this. This passage is a verse that ought to be printed in great letters in the memory of every reader of the Bible. All the stars of heaven are bright and beautiful, and yet one star exceeds another star in glory. So also in texts of Scripture, all are inspired and profitable, yet some seem richer than the others. Never was there a fuller testimony born to Christ upon earth than that which is born by John the Baptist. Bam, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Another author writes this. In one sentence, we have the essence of the Christian message. This is a difficult task for Western ears to appreciate the power of John's announcement. But these words brought an avalanche of meaning to the Jewish mind. John, the gospel writer, is the only one that uses this title, Behold the Lamb of God. For sure, just in this very chapter, there are other titles to describe Jesus. Verse 38, he's called Rabbi. Verse 41, Messiah. 
Verse 34, we saw he's called the Son of God. Verse 49, the King of Israel, the Son of Man. But this is the title. This is the title that for all of this, and all of this moment, there would be this, I got it, at least to some extent. This would be a startling title to those who are listening. I, w- I was never good at math, okay? Never, never really, never good at it. Never got it. But I would hear people say, there's this moment. I would see them. It'd be all around me. I never experienced it. But it'd be all around me where they go, I, I, I get it. Be in geometry and they go, I get it. And I would say, well, sit here close to me because I'm going to need some help during the test because I don't get it, okay? Well, all of a sudden, they had heard in the Old Testament kind of these unexplained sacrifices, Every morning, every evening, there'd be animals that were sacrificed. There'd be a stream of blood on the big holidays. They, they knew that there wasn't a forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. But all of a sudden now, it all pulls together in this moment. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is God come in the flesh to be that sacrifice, to do for you and me, for all mankind, what we couldn't do for ourselves. Peter writes of it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, that, that, that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So in this big idea, let me give you four things we pull out of it. And I'll put them on the screen for you. Okay? Number one, Christ is the Savior. I borrow these literally four kind of summary points from J.C. Ryle, though they're obvious, I guess. Jesus is the Savior. When I originally sent the PowerPoint over to Catherine and she formatted it and she sent it back, I had capitalized the definite article V. And it didn't look good on the screen. And, and I said to Catherine, that doesn't look right. And, and she said, lovingly, well, I never liked all caps. And I said, well, let's change it. But, but I want to make sure you, you, you get this. I want to read it that way. Christ is the Savior. He says it this way in John 14. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's the definite article. He is the Savior. He he didn't come to, to be a great teacher or a philosopher or just another prophet or a great guy or a great role model. He's the Savior. And as the Savior, his work is complete. Behold the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world. He didn't just give you some sort of a temporary pardon. This is kind of a big idea for some of you. In Christ, we're not on probation here. It is finished. We're in right relationship with him. His work is complete. That's what he cried out on the cross. It is finished. He is the Savior. And again, to us, we're so used to this. That's my... Well, that's part of what happened to me in putting the lesson together. We're so familiar with it. He's the Savior of all mankind. And they would have gone, what? We're looking for a Jewish Messiah. He's going to save you and you and you? 
I, I think, and, and, and this is the boat I'm in, and if you want to climb in there with me, that's okay. If not, I'm all right, too. But I think I'm so American-centric that sometimes I forget that he's the savior of the whole world we live in. That right now, this Sunday, all around the world, there are people who are radically different than you and me who are worshiping the same Savior. His work is complete for all mankind, and his work is perpetual. J.C. Ryle writes this, He taketh away the sin of the world. He is daily taking it, our sin, away from everyone that believes in him. Daily purging, daily cleansing, daily washing, daily granting and applying fresh supplies of his mercy. He didn't cease to work for the saints when he died on the cross. He lives in heaven as a priest to the present sacrifice continually making that sacrifice before God. So the big idea is behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he does this as our Savior, complete in his work, for anyone who will come to him. Man, woman, boy, girl, any ethnic background, not, not based on anything, or, or, even, I mean, I mean, or even the level of your sin. But come to him, and he will repent. Now, here's always a challenge in, in, in a moment like this. There are, in this room, such a broad group of people with a diverse background. Uh, some of you, this is brand new stuff. You got here today, not sure how, You've been bugging somebody, you know, go to yoga, go to yoga, go to yoga with me. And finally they said, all right, I'll go to yoga with me if you go to church with me. So you said yes, and at this very moment, you're reexamining that decision, okay? You haven't understood anything that's happened. We sang a bunch of songs you don't know. Saw a hospital in Mexico, which touches your compassion. Now I'm up here, and you're going, I, I, I don't know if I get it. Okay, so that's one end. On the other end are those of you who have heard this so much, so often, so long, that all you've heard to this point is blah, 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 blah. That's all you've heard. In fact, you've already kind of closed your notebook. You got your phone out. You think you're faking me that you got a Bible app, but you're really, you're really texting your best friend going, I should have played golf with you today. This is a loser. <laughs> and you want to go deep. Oh, I want to go deep. Oh, I can't wait. And I think that's why Jamie has me here. So you'll say, I can't wait till Jamie gets back. And, and, and he'll go so deep into these thoughts, okay? Well, it can't get any deeper than this. See, that's my group. Well, in putting the lesson together, this is where I hit a pivot moment this week. I never, ever put together a lesson based on who's going to be there in terms of, okay, Bob's going to be there, this is for him. I had somebody, <laughs> somebody this week said to me, I heard you're going to be at SBC Sunday. And I said, yeah, I am. Man, I'm bringing my neighbor. I hope you'll really be good. 
Really? I thought I'd suck and just see what happened through the whole thing. Well, that's the inspiration. It's like what somebody said, I had some problems. Uh, 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 I have problems forever. But I, I, I'm talking, and the guy said, do you have a good doctor? That's my lead. And I, no, I got a quack that works out of his van at 27th <laughs> Avenue in Buckeye. What do you think I've got? You think I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to do the best I can. But you're bringing your neighbor. And if you're that here and you're that neighbor, we're so glad you're here. I care much more about you, that first group, than the second group. Not that I don't care about the second group. But that first group, I so want you to understand this. But the second group is a bigger challenge. Those of you that have heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. I, I want us to get the depth of this. There's a bumper sticker that used to be out there. Don't see it much anymore. It says this. The Bible says it. I believe it. What? That settles it. Well, the middle part of that is a waste of ink. The discussion for us is this. The Bible says it. That settles it. Doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't matter what Jamie thinks. Doesn't matter what you think, with all due respect. What does the Bible say? Well, why do we need that Lamb of God? So I'm going to take you down, down a path. This is what happened to me, is that I began to preach this message, this is always dangerous, to myself this week. Well, almost like I was trying, though I know it's impossible, to, to come to this afresh. Here's what the Bible says about you. Romans 3, verse 10. It's written, there is none righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. No one does good, not even one. Now, in you, if you're in that first group, perhaps, you kind of something wells up in you and says, that's not right. I do pretty well. I've got a neighbor. He's an incredible guy. When I'm gone in the summer, he cuts my grass. Oh, oh, here you go. Nana. Nana doesn't go well. Let me tell you something about Nana. You didn't know her when she was younger. Okay. Your Nana was what we used to call a rounder. Okay. There's none good. No, not one. That's the heart of man. They said Sandy's uh, sister and mom are in town, and, and the big event for us this afternoon is to introduce them to the grandkids. Okay. We have eight of them. Ages 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay? And we're going to be there, and they're going to be great. My guess is Haley and Sarah will have them ready. Hi, it's nice to meet you. Hi, it's nice to meet you. And they, they might pull that off. But it won't take 30 seconds before they're out there whacking each other in the face, stealing each other's candy. If you ever had kids or have kids, you never had to teach them to lie, did you? No, you had to teach them to tell the truth. Why? Because in Paul's summary statement, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person who's ever lived comes into this world a sinner separated from God. Okay? I want you to deal with that right now. I'm not talking about somebody out there. or you're, I'm talking about you. You're a sinner. 
There are these moments, no matter how seared your conscience is, where you feel guilty. Well, you feel guilty because you are guilty. Now, you've got four ways you can respond to that guilt. Let me give them to you. Number one, you can deny it. That, that's like the, the young ruler that came to Jesus. And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep all the commandments. And he said, I already did that. Now, you may not be that brazen. You would say, yeah, I, I guess I've sinned a little bit, but it's no big deal. It's not that much. I'm, I'm not, you know. I cut somebody off in traffic. I move over there. I, I know a bunch of little things, but a no big deal. God can't possibly be that upset about that. Here's the second thing you can do as you respond to your guilt. You can accept it and be filled with despair. If you're looking for a, a biblical character that is a model for that, that would be Judas. If, if think about it, what Judas did and Peter did, not radically different, but Peter... Guilt drives him to the cross. Judas says, there's no hope for me. That, that might be you. you. You could be here right now. You could be coming to this and going, I've done so much, so bad, beyond anything you can imagine. Listen, it takes no more grace to save the worst of sinners than, than, than it does you, and I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt there by thinking you aren't the worst of sinners. God can forgive you. I don't care what it is. There's that deep, dark secret. You've got it. Well, here it is. He knows everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought. And he said, that's all right. My grace is sufficient. Amazing grace. Unfailing love. Here's the third response to guilt. This is the most popular. It's the natural reaction. Accept it and try to fix it. It's called religion. So, some of you are on that track. Okay? Uh, I really messed up, but I'll fix it. I'll do that. I'll start doing this, doing this, doing this, not doing that. I'll start going in SBC, and I'll prove how dedicated I am. When they close this to remodel, I'm going to hang in there. Uh, I'm going I'm I'm to gut it out. I've got to get extra credit for that, right? And, and in the midst, they're going to need help in nursery, and I'll do that too. So that's religion. But our problem is this. The wage of sin is death. Our sin has separated us from God, and there's nothing we can do to fix it. That's your flinch, okay? That's your immediate reaction. That's what they ask. What must I do to be saved? Here's the only right answer. Accept it and believe in the gospel. Understand that I'm a sinner that separated me, and, and my sin has separated me from God, and, and the provision is what John sees in John chapter 1, verse 29. There it is right there, the Lamb of God. Everything else is my denial, my ignoring, my accepting, my doing. But there's only one sacrifice. My friend Larry Bright used to call 1 Corinthians 15 the gospel in a nutshell. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, look with me at verse 3. I delivered of you of first importance that Christ died for our sin. That's why Christ died. That Christ died is not stop the press's stuff. We know he died, but why did he die? He died for your sin. When he died on that cross, the agony of the cross, that moment when we talk about that, you know that term, the agony of the cross, it wasn't the physical agony. It was the agony at that moment of all the guilt that was deserved of all the people that had ever come to him was thrust upon Jesus at that moment. That's the agony of the cross. He died specifically with people in mind. He died for our sin. Verse 4, they did with him what they do with dead people. They buried him, and he rose on the third day. That's a huge deal. I uh, delivered 23 years of Easter messages. And it always kind of had the same theme. It was around the resurrection. And I finally got it to, to where it was this. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Okay? Now, I'll, I'll put up and I'll have, you know, 10 historic facts. That the evidence is overwhelming. I remember coming here. I had not been a believer very long. I sat right over here when Josh McDowell was here and did a series called The Resurrection Factor. And it transformed my thinking because all of a sudden I went, oh, my golly, this is a historic fact. He really rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, please <laughs> state the this is a big deal. Here's what it means. He is who he says he was, and you are who he says you are. And there's a gap between you because of your sin and God, and there's nothing you can do to fix it. When John completes kind of this thought, I'm sorry, Paul, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says the wage of sin is death. That if you say, all I want in my life is what I deserve, well, you deserve death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. All I have to do is believe on him. Is it that easy? Yes, it is. And maybe all your life you've been around this stuff. Been in church all your life. I told a story last night. I told the story before, but I never identified the other person in the story. But the other guy is my dad. And we're taking a walk one day at Granite Reef, we're at Granite Reef and McDonald. We're at the corner. And my dad is going, explain this whole thing to me. And I said, what well, da 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 And he said, well, what do I have to do? Because he was in mass every day. He was around every day. He's by any human standard, uh, unless you had to live with him, a good guy. <laughs> by any human standard, he's a good guy. Model citizen, same job, 43 years. And he said, are you telling me that that doesn't matter? I said, I'm telling you, God is not impressed with your effort. Christ died. If you believe that Christ rose from the dead, and that he is Lord. If you confess that with your mouth, believe, not just mentally, but you put your faith and trust in that, you'll go to heaven as sure right now you can know. And he said, no matter what? And I said, no matter what? 
He said, let me ask you something. So if I believe this right now, and I kill somebody tonight, I'm still going to heaven? And I said, oh, we don't encourage that. I mean, it's not, it's not part of our discipleship process or anything. But, but, but I rejoiced at that moment, because what does that mean? At that moment, he got grace. You can have eternal life. When's eternal life begin? Right now. When's it end? There is no ending. I can know this. Here you go. I've got uh, 7 minutes, 34 seconds. John 3, 16. No, John 20. I think that's the next verse I have. John chapter 20. John tells you why he wrote this gospel. I, I, I almost said I read a lot of books. That's not true. I start a lot of books. Yeah. But in almost all the books that I start, in the introduction, I'll have a mark of mine that'll have an arrow to it and it'll go aim or purpose. Where usually at the very beginning, the, the author tells you why he or she are, are writing. John here does it at the end. So the gospel you have in front of you. John said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples that aren't written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And believing in his name, you have life. Put it all together now. The wage of sin is death. I'm dead. There's only one thing a dead man needs is life, and that life is not found through my human effort. It's found only in the person of Christ, the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world, and in his death and resurrection, I have life and nowhere else. This book is rich with so many quotable verses. The most familiar probably anywhere, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here it is again. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but has eternal life. Do I want eternal life? And, and by that, I don't just mean heaven. I mean a life here. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I can have real life here. Why would he do that? There's the answer. For he so loved the world. That's a really difficult word for us, love. And anything that I relate to, and I think you too, as love is conditional. I, I'm in this phase. Sandy and I have been married uh, three years next month. And I'm in this uh, kind of goofy, tingly phase. When I see her, I just tingle. I get so excited. And, 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 I, and I'll sit, and as she's talking, I'll find myself smiling, and, and I'm going, she's incredible. Well, yeah, yeah, I love her, but how could you not? I mean, she's really pretty. She's really smart. She, she's great. I watch her with her kids. I watch her in every setting. She loves me. How could you not love her? Do I love her? I love her a ton. I love her more now than I did three years ago, and I presume I'll love her more three years from now. I don't know. The more I know her, the more I love her. But I don't know if all of a sudden she wasn't so smart and wasn't so kind and not so nice. I wonder if I'd love her like that. Here's the thought. Okay. 
God loves you. Not because you're prettier, not because you're smarter, not because you're handsome, or not because you've got a good financial statement. This is something I say all over, and it's one of those things that I go, wow, and people never seem to respond the way I think they ought to. That's not to put pressure on you to respond. That's just to tell you, because I don't, I don't have that expectation. It's just to tell you, this is a big deal. God loves you in spite of you, not because of you. It, it's not that he said, oh, she's so cute. He's so clever. Look at his hair. How could you not love that guy? He's a little messed up. No, he looked down and he saw a heart of stone who not only didn't love God, hated God, made false gods that he could worship instead of the real God. And here's what he's saying. See if this doesn't get you a little bit. Here's what my, that my grandpa would say. Doesn't this jar your preserves? Okay. okay. Here, here you go. He loves you in spite of you, not because of you. He didn't say, oh, man, if if I could just ding out some of those little dents, that would really be something. God so loved you that while you were despicable and sinful, then he sent Christ who died for you. So there's the great thought. In, in fact, John, uh, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us. There's a phrase. If you go on a trip, go to Toledo, you rent a car, you rent a Ford Fusion. They give you a Ford Fusion. Never had a Fusion before, never really noticed it. You come back from your trip, you're driving around town, and you... Every car you look at is a what? Ford Fusion. Everywhere. Okay? I'd like that to be the same thing here. That all of a sudden, you start to see this love of God, love of Christ. Paul says at the end of Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Nothing. That's his love for you. This overwhelming love for you. Another translation says, the love of Christ compels us. When, when I walked in last night, they, they painted the walls since I was here last, and love is here, love is now, love is all over. That's the thing that moves us. I begin to contemplate, and I'm not, I'm not moved out of duty. I'm overwhelmed by his love for us, and all of a sudden, there's a connection that should take place between my intellect and my emotion. There was a a man who was born in 1703 and died in 1758, and his name was Jonathan Edwards. There's a picture of old John. The picture on the big screen, he actually looks a little softer than he he does. But he doesn't look like a guy you want to fill out your March Madness bracket with and (laughs) sit around and cook a brotst and hang out and watch a ball game. He, he taught, they tell us, in a monotone voice. He just, not, not, not a lot of yucks. M- m- many say, secular, not theologian, secular will say, he, he is, if not the, one of the greatest minds America ever produced. In, in 1746, he wrote a treatise 
a treatise concerning religious affection. And, and here's what he said. He said, our emotion and our intellect play a role in our conversion. But there should be times when it's not just in, so I got it. Here's the problem with a really good church like Scottsdale Bible Church. I mean, you've got it, you've got, you had it with Daryl, you got it with Jamie, you got the pictures of the guys hanging in a wall. You've had great teachers. If you're not careful, you'll turn this thing into an academic study. Now, it needs to be studied, but never separated from your emotion and from your heart. The love of Christ ought to, at times, overwhelm you. I'm, I'm not saying it's one constant adrenaline rush, but there ought to be times. And my fear in my life is that I'm so familiar with the fact that there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that it's like the sunrise that are absolutely breathtaking. And you look at it and go, eh, it's like that every day. He's the Lamb of God. He has been a long time. So here's the big idea of today. And Jesus is the Lamb of God. If you're here for maybe the very first time or hearing this for the first time, maybe you're here often and for whatever reason it's coming together today, then, then what you're realizing is that you're a sinner. It seems indisputable. It seems to me there's a overwhelming empirical data to support it. You're a sinner, and the result of that sin is it separated you from God, and the only way to be in right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. If you want to talk about that, talk to the person who invited you here today or the people who will be in front of the uh, room here or one of the campuses that are joining us this morning and ask them what it means. Go to the Connect desk. But I also hope that some of you who are going, you know, blah, 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 I've heard it. I hope the Holy Spirit rips your heart out today <laughs> and gives you a heart where you go, wow. Because you maybe even already fallen into the trap where you're thinking maybe you're an okay guy or an okay gal. You weren't. But in spite of you, not because of you, Christ died. Isn't that amazing? And you have forgiveness. And now you're his display case to the world around you. Now people look at you and see him. Pray with me. Father, let that be the case for those who are here who, who maybe even this might be a day of coming into a right relationship with you through Christ, that you'd work in their heart and, and you'd move them. And for those of us who've maybe been around this a long time, God, stir up that same affection in us anew. Remind us who we are now. We were that, but you've washed us and cleansed us and brought us into your family. We sang it. You took orphans and made us sons and daughters. God, thank you for that work. Thank you for this place. And in all we do and say, let us glorify you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.